You are listening to the Life Coach BFF podcast with Susan and Heather. For episode 13, we are digging deep, ladies. You know what they say, our past will continue to play out in our present until we understand its impact. Heather talks to Cape Town Mama, our friend Christina Masaryk from South Africa. Because I was out with a migraine, I missed the conversation. But great news, you get to listen right now. So here we go. Hi, Christina. I'm so glad that you're here. This is too fun. So how I'm here now with Christina Masaryk, and she is in Cape Town, South Africa. And we met on Instagram. She's my new Instagram friend. (laughs) Hi, Heather. Nice to see you in person with air quotes. Yes. Tell me about life in South Africa right now. How is it there? So like I was saying before we started our chat, like we're in, we're having one of the world's strictest lockdowns at the moment. Um, So when we still had less than 50 cases of Corona COVID-19, confirmed cases in South Africa, they locked our country's borders. And um, we immediately embarked on like a very stringent lockdown period of not being able to go to work, not being able to walk on the streets. You can't walk your dogs. Today was the first day that we could walk our dogs in five weeks. I don't have any dogs, but I say our as in everyone else. But um, it was the first day we could do that. We're officially in stage four. So we've been in a stage five, which was very hectic. There's no sales of alcohol. Like you can't buy wine. (laughs) People can't buy cigarettes because we have a very poor population in South Africa. And while that's not my socioeconomic bracket, and some of these rules sound very strange to me, they have to create rules that keep the masses at bay so that we prevent the spread of the disease. And so that means in a lot of our townships, you'll have people drinking too much alcohol. There's been like a report of way less domestic violence, um, gang violence, and all of these sorts of things that are big problems in our country, which again, like I don't feel really affected by in my neighborhood, but I'm in 10% of the population. Exactly. Well, that's so interesting because child, child abuse has gone up in the U.S. Have you heard these reports? Due to homeschooling, you have heard that. Mm-hmm. Oh, it is a shame. It is a shame. So a lot now, the, the government, they're really pushing schools to close early to solve some of these issues. Sorry, they're pushing schools to close Early, early this year. So we normally close the end of May, some schools the beginning of June. And now we're, most schools are closing the beginning of May to the middle of May. Wouldn't having the schools open lead to less? Sorry, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said close because now we are all virtual, doing virtual school. Okay, so they're going to stop that. They're going to stop that. They're going to stop, because that can be very stressful within itself. Okay, so that's what I was getting at, is the stress of that causing, oh, it's so stressful. It makes us question the modern schooling system somewhat, like. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is very stressful because the children, I mean, I'm sure there's some exceptions. Now, my little precious is here. Um, The two youngest are eight and 11. And they do not want to do their schoolwork. 
they want to play Legos, they want to go outside, which I don't blame them, but they, they uh, don't want to sit and do schoolwork at home. They're not accustomed to that. Yeah, well, it would be unnatural for them. They're used to learning in a different environment. I mean, I, that is something I don't know much about. My children are three and five. So for their ages, you're supposed to learn through play. So right. I've had to sort of, you know, because they're in preschool in South Africa. Um, I've never really had to be responsible for their early childhood development, early child education, school readiness. But those are now things that... I'm carrying on my shoulder in addition to my workload. And so it has been more stressful, but I guess not the same as it would be for like a middle school child mom or a high school child mom, because, you know, it's, it's like, whatever, they don't really have to be in school. We can just play. So exactly. Well, it's time to play because it, it's just the environment is so stressful and they miss their friends. They really oh. miss their friends. I'm I know sure. yours, yours miss, I'm sure. My older one is definitely aware and like I'm really trying to work hard to keep my anxiety in check because they absorb what you're feeling and I can just see him it, like mirror back to me my, my anxiety when he can see it on my face and so I'm like okay you really need to work on your mental health right now you have to think about positive things like because you're setting the tone that they will adopt. And like three-year-old is like nowhere, you know, he's just a mullet <laughs> running around wild, naked in the garden, happy and Larry. He's like, school what, friends? I had friends, like didn't know anything. My five-year-old though, you can see like, he does, when I'm anxious, I hear him saying, my stomach hurts, I miss my friend. And I realize oh. he's not feeling well because he sees I'm not feeling well and I'm his environment right now. So I need to work on, like it's, it's interesting times, but it's mm -hmm. very good lessons as well in motherhood. Yes. Yes. Lots of good lessons. Lots of good lessons. Well, I want to talk about your book. I'm excited about your book. Oh, gosh. Book. <laughs> yeah. So I'm taking a sip of tea. Um, Go ahead. <laughs> cheers. Cheers. Yeah. So I wrote a memoir last year, sort of as my own opportunity for personal growth and healing. And I'm I, like, I started working with an editor and it got to a really good tangible shape. And then it just became a huge burden. Like I've, I've totally paused it at the moment. So it's not with a publisher. Um, I haven't even finished the first edit. We were toward the end. I completely pressed pause um, toward, I want to say like November last year. I just felt like I did all the writing and I came to this place of understanding my childhood and all of the things I was writing about. But now it got me to a place of like, okay, I need to be present. I need to be present as a mother and sort of put these things aside right now. I did enough work to become more whole, but now it's time that I'm present for my children more. And it's funny how God works in mysterious ways because every time I think, okay, let me just dig at it again and start writing because I love to write. That's how I, that's how I understand things and I figure things out and I feel and, and how I create. That's my thing. 
And when I start to pick at the book again, like God makes changes in our lives. Like, okay, no, you're moving now. No, you've moved somewhere where there's only half day care for your kids. Oh, your nanny can't work. Oh, you have like sort of like juggling my priorities for me. And I just feel like the the story is still in me. It's Uh going to be told, but it's not a priority right now. But that was definitely a journey of writing. I understand. And sometimes it takes a while. You have to go through new experiences to bring the whole story out. Do you feel that way? Oh yeah. I definitely said to my husband was chatting him and he said to me, and I agreed that the story is not done. Right. There's certainly some things that I wrote about, which are, I'm an open book completely, but there are certain things I shared in there that if I shared them publicly with the world, those stories aren't finished because I'm not comfortable with how it would make other people feel. Like there's right. some people that I had to do a lot of inner work in motherhood to heal myself at the hands of other people's pain when I was younger. But those people haven't realized their own inner healing. And if they were to read some of the things that I shared about my own experiences, it would cause some devastation. Like, and I don't want to cause anyone devastation. I feel whole enough now to have completely let go. That's and right. I don't have any blame or heartache, but I also don't want the conflict in my life. Like I'm in a really good place. So it's just, it's not done yet. Like it's not full circle yet. Well, I can't wait until you finish it. I want to read it. Oh, thank you so much. So, um, no, I was just going to say, I'm I'm quite an open book. I'm comfortable talking about almost everything. So we can talk about it. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's talk about, so when we met online, I quickly found out that you lived in the South in the United States at one time. And we, I joke, jokingly said, maybe we're related because I'm from Mississippi and you lived in Louisiana and then you moved to the West coast. So do you want to talk about how that evolved and you want to talk about just your experience in the South and how you ended up in California? Sure. Um, so I'll start with I'll start with Louisiana, and then it, I'm totally cool. We can go back because I lived in a lot of places before that. But I moved to Louisiana when I was about eight years old. My dad was in the military, and he got rebased from the military base in El Paso, Texas, to Leesville, Louisiana. Whatever base is there, and I say this with confusion for anyone for your listeners, um, because I, it's difficult for me to get the facts about my past. Because what culminated is that I was a, I was given up for adoption when I was ten years old, after moving to Louisiana. Um, sort of like our whole life fell apart, but it was pretty predictable given the circumstances. My dad was an alcoholic military man, and by that point of living in Louisiana, he had remarried another woman. So we hadn't seen our mom. My sister and I hadn't seen our mom for two years. And he came home from the military one day to see that his new wife, who was quite verbally and physically abusive toward us kids, had just got up and left. And 
that was a whole month of him being home with us, which I was grateful for because I always wanted time with my dad and his love and affection and time away from his wife because she was quite horrible to us. <laughs> um, and he was home and I just, I had so many, bless you, memories of him crying and just sitting with me and trying to figure it out. Like, what am I gonna do? Where are you gonna go? I wasn't going to school, but that was not uncommon in my childhood. I never went to school consistently. No one took us. There was a lot of neglect and emotional abuse. Um, and, and it led to eventually the only option being he dropped us off at a foster home in Baton Rouge and I never saw him again to this day. He actually died last year. Um, but we did reconnect online, like in, old, in, my, in adulthood. You know? And he said, sorry, and he found God and we had our reconciliation. It worked out for the best because I did have a better life after yeah. that. Yeah, I'm thankful for that for you. So I am definitely an advocate for adoption. We have adoption in our family. And do you, th do you think that you will adopt? Do you? Gosh, I mean, my whole life I thought I, I like definitely want to since it's, it's just been very early on much in my flesh to have this feeling that your family isn't just made biologically, but it's made with love. And like I've Felt that in friendships and you know everyone experiences that when you marry someone so I would love to have a blended family like that um I don't know it's possible I would it's certainly I'm certainly open to it in my heart it definitely doesn't seem to be a calling on my husband's heart um but I think we have our hands quite full <laughs> at the moment <laughs> with two biological kiddos but my my sister who was adopted with me we were biological sisters we were abandoned and adopted together into the same family which is as someone who's adopted kids you'll know this is to be adopted at an older age let alone with your sibling is a miracle it beyond. is a miracle yeah and and within a month of being in a foster home so god That's certainly god's us in it. that was truly god's oh plan. yeah it was 100 100 god's plan and so but she's had some fertility problems she's she's unable she's struggling to have children biologically and she got married just over a year ago and they've been trying and trying and they're struggling so she's actually just recently told me that they're seriously looking at adopting that's exciting that's yeah. very exciting yes I, I would encourage anyone to adopt i would encourage yeah. anyone so let me ask you this, because my, I, my background, my parents divorced when I was really young, and it took me a while to realize this, but after I married and had children, I realized that I was afraid to let go and truly love with my whole heart for fear that it would, that I would lose that that some, I would lose someone. Have you experienced that? So you're that saying that when you became a mom, when you I had that feeling of like holding back on your love because it was like a scary love in a way? Not, well, not, well, not, well I, I loved my babies with everything, yeah. but there was always that fear of, you know, because yeah. I experienced loss. So once you've experienced the loss, then you're always that there's always that fear that what if there's another loss 
Does that make sense? So it totally makes sense. Yeah. Did you I, I never thought of it that way. Yeah. I definitely had that feeling. In Did fact, okay. after my, that's where I embarked on my inner work of healing, right. and forgiveness, and reconciliation with myself and my offenders is in early motherhood. I, it all started just before my first son was born. So while he was still in the womb, I, I was totally an agnostic. I was never a believer of anything defined, especially Christianity. I felt like a, quite a big aversion to it. But I started to have thoughts about what, where do we come from? Why are we here? Um, you know, I had had a very tumultuous childhood and sort of the term I'll use that I, I take from a book I read once is I was beginning to face the ghosts in the nursery. And I never thought of that feeling. I had that feeling you had of that scary love, like petrified and debilitated with this fear of horrible, possible, like impossible, but possible in your mind, horrible things happening in your child. Um, I didn't understand it, that it was rooted in my previous experiences of being abandoned or and losing people in my life, like the way you put it. I never thought of it like that, but it totally makes sense. And I ended up going to a psychiatrist and going on medication. Like it was so, I, I mean, geez, my stomach was running all the time. I was getting sick. And this went on for years um, oh. of just like, and I loved my children endlessly. I never thought of hurting them or yeah. like, oh gosh, no, I, my children slept through the night from three months old because I held them on me from the moment they were born. I, they didn't, I didn't put them down. Same. Like they were on me. Yes. The, they, those kids know they're loved. Yes. Uh, but like what the sacrifice was my complete mental and physical health like it went on for years until I wrote my book last year and realized that I had childhood wounds I had never used the terminology trauma childhood trauma abandonment I never used those words to describe myself which shows how confident I felt in many ways but also how much I was lying to myself and I was deluded but it showed up physically <laughs> my little boy is outside the window going to me I love it I love it so let me ask you this because my grandmother played an intricate part in my life in my healing so who would you say had the biggest impact on you and your life and I mean you're a fabulous mother obviously you have this healthy wonderful marriage but who in your life besides your husband or your children has had the biggest impact? Gosh, well, I've been, I've been to a lot of therapy in the last few years and it's helped me understand that the most important part of your emotional development are the first few years of your life. And I will say that as, as tumultuous and turbulent as my childhood was, especially like ages like four to 10, those first few years, I was very, very loved. And that unconditional love that my, my foundation, my emotional development was rooted in came from my maternal biological grandmother. So it turns out I, I was an accident um, with my parents, which given the, all, all the dynamics of my biological family, that's not surprising. Um, but I was born on my maternal grandmother's birthday and I was her first grandchild and we had a we had an incredible bond and I wrote so much about her in my book and 
that unconditional love that I started off with in this world is apparently why I was able to be so resilient through all of the conflict that would come after, after losing her and moving around and being abandoned and getting a new family. So she was definitely, that was the foundation of why I guess I always had this trust and faith that even though I was really hurt and abused in so many ways, even after I was adopted, um, I, I knew that I had God's love, if that makes any sense. I had that good base. Whereas yeah. if you don't have that, it's sort of hard to go back and undo any bad yeah. is what I've been, um, what I've come to learn. So she's number one, that foundation. And number two, a, a big influence in my life when, and it was my foster mother. So when I went to Baton Rouge, Louisiana, um, we were in foster care for a month. We didn't know how long it would be. And we were fostered by a family and her name was Martha in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And she didn't know how long we were going to be there. So she put us in school. She, taught us about her faith, which was Catholicism. And we learned for the first time about the Christian faith. And she just loved us endlessly. She bought us bikes and she, we, we spent every evening, we sat around the table and we had dinner together. And I could just see how she loved her own biological children so much. Like they had healthy boundaries. They had conflict and resolution. They, they there was, there was, normal circumstances, normal family circumstances, and a home filled with love. And it was the first time I was able to see that. And I would always draw back on that after I was adopted and conflict would rise in my life. I always thought like, I want that family. I want that in my life. Um, but never really thought much of it until again, I was writing my book a lot last year and I realized I could love to reach out to her and reconnect, but I haven't been able to find her. I don't know her last name. Oh, wow. Yeah, so I don't know, there's no contact. In fact, after I was adopted, I said to, one of the things I was told after I was adopted by the social worker and my foster mother and my adopted mother was, if you ever want to speak to your foster mom again, like you can always call her anytime. If you're going through something, just speak up and say how you feel. I mean, it was, I was always told like, I had that opportunity and I'll never forget, like, I don't know how long it was after I was adopted, definitely in the first year, but I really, I felt suddenly the reality of the shift in my life that had happened was starting to weigh on me and I started to feel anxious and I just wanted her comfort again. I loved my adopted parents, but I just wanted to call Miss Martha. I wanted to call Miss Martha. So I said to my adopted mom, can we go talk? Can I call Miss Martha? I really want to talk to her now. And she shouted at me. It was the first time I remember her, like a different side of her. And I totally get those emotions looking back now. But from a child's perspective, an adopted child's perspective, and what I had to go through after that in terms of my confidence and emotional growth, like it wasn't the right way to handle it. Yeah. Um, she said, no, I'm, I'm never allowed to mention her name again and that she's my mother now and I need to forget everything that happened before. And that's what I did. I never talked about my past. It was erased. It was erased. I was never allowed to talk, talk about it again. And the same conversation happened when I wanted to contact my birth mother when I was an adult. Um, so there was like that, like 
that that was emotional abuse but I do from a human experience perspective like I can understand my adopted mother's pain you know the, there's that paradigm you have you said you would recommend anyone adopt and of course it, it can be such a loving experience and it gives opportunity for family connection and love to both the adoptee and the adoptor but I think there needs to be a lot of counseling available because it's a crazy dynamic. So is biological motherhood. motherhood. <laughs> yes. You know, like there's, but I just think it's, it's not, it's not as easy as like pick up the child that was orphaned and now they're happy and you're happy. No, it's like, there's layers of emotional work to do there. Layers of emotional work to do. You're exactly right. And for me, the most important thing for me being in an adoption, a part of a family who has um, adopted, is the peace of mind for everyone involved. The peace of mind for the birth mother, the peace of mind for the child, like that is so important to me. Did your adopted mother, did she have biological children? No, so her and my adopted father both had a little bit of a problem on both sides and so they weren't able to conceive naturally there were intervention possibilities available with hormone treatments but they never went down that route okay. um, in her own words she didn't want to mess her body up in any way so she opted for adoption quite early on but she wanted to adopt older children because they would fit in quite well with her life and like her friends <laughs> had older kids so it's sort of like so funny. And the adoption system in America is very different. I mean, what you just said now is beautiful and I resonate with that so much, but that isn't the general narrative of the adoption scene in America compared to many other countries, which is weird. But my dad said he remembers going to adoption fairs where you could like meet and greet and like maybe pick a, a match of a child. I'm not familiar with that at all. They did that. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not familiar with that. I, I mean, any experience with that? I, I don't. I don't. I've never heard anyone mention that. That's interesting. I believe it. And have you ever seen that movie called? What's it called? It was like about adoption. It was recent, like a couple in the past few years. Oh, Instant Family. Was it called Instant Family or something? I have not seen it. With well, my dad, thought it would be a great idea that we watch it together, and it was the worst idea ever because my. I was flooding uh, with tears uh -huh. and he was like, is everything okay? Is this triggering you? And it just shows like even the family that I went to after I was adopted, they don't even know what I experienced before. And they never asked. That's interesting. I can't imagine. <laughs> I can't even imagine. So they, they really did not have any counseling beforehand. They must not have. No, we, no. This is like a funny, funny, well, like fun fact, but not so fun fact is the late in writing my book last year and in doing my research, I found out that the social worker who facilitated our adoption um, was later imprisoned and lost her license because she was a part of a scheme that was selling babies, like getting rush, pregnant Russian women to come to America to have their child 
and, and to give it up for adoption, but like under the radar. So it's not recognized federally. Um, and families were buying the baby. It was, yeah, it was, that was happening. Hmm. And the, the Russian women were doing it because they get, there was like a citizenship opportunity in it and money for them. And it was sort of facilitated through the Russian mafia. I mean, you can, I can send you articles after so you can see this, but this was the lady who facilitated our adoption. And my dad always jokes to say, he says, yeah, I sort of got two for the price of one because we only wanted one child. But then they said, oh, this, this girl like has a sister now also up for adoption because at first it was just my sister and then I came along because no one in my family would take me either. So we were just, I mean, I only realized it later, but I was like, we were, our lives were so devalued. True. I agree. I agree. Um, that's very, that's and our stories weren't honored. And I know worse things can happen. Like we weren't sexually molested. We ended up in a good foster home. We got a good family to adopt us afterwards. And while they did their absolute best, there was no counseling. And there was a lot of emotional trauma that came on for us as an aftermath because we were just floating around and expected <laughs> to get on with it. Yeah, that's, that's, they drop the ball. They all, they all drop the ball for you. And I'm sorry for you because things could have been so different. They, they all drop the ball. And the, the thing is you were the child. So it was not your fault. It's the hmm. fault of the adults and that that's, or your sister's fault. I mean, that was, they were the adults. They should have behaved like adults. I'm sorry. Yeah, thank you. That's very kind. I, I've come to that understanding with a lot of the work I've had to do on myself and in writing my book last year, like sort of, but for me, the interesting thing was, is I never went around carrying all this hatred or anger for what had happened to us. I just, I didn't actually acknowledge it at all. Right. So what happened for me is I just ended up adopting all these different coping mechanisms for what was obviously causing me anxiety and hurts in my life. And those were so unhealthy, I couldn't sustain them, that my body was breaking down physically in early motherhood. I mean, I loved my kids so much, but I couldn't grapple this thought of how could anyone let a child yes. go through that? Like, how could my parents have me and raise me and then give me away. Mm -hmm. uh, and then how could my adopted parents not honor us asking questions like, where did we come from and what's happening? We were shamed. I was absolutely shamed by my adopted mother to have any questions about my biological family, my foster family. Um, I was completely shunned and shamed. And as a child, which at 10 years old, you're still a child. Mm -hmm. My only choice was to feel ashamed and to believe what she's saying. Cause I went from being overweight and abused and not taken to school to being raised by a family that has more money and gives us the things we need and invests in time and money into our education and wellness. And they're telling me, listen here, little girl, you need to let that go and just be grateful. So I have bad past and good now. So this is the way the world works. And that's the worldview I adopted. And every time someone was disappointed in me, I said, Christina, you're bad. You need to let that go and adapt to the way this 
broken person is treating you. Mm-hmm. So you get toxic relationships in your life. You get, you, you start to cope in toxic ways because speaking about it is blasphemy. Mm-hmm. I really appreciate you being so honest about your past and how you feel because this, I, I can't tell you how much this could help other adoptive mothers and fathers to see on the other side an adult looking back at their past because I I do feel like especially with foreign adoptions the adoptive parents are so happy that there's no tie to a past and that all that can be just pushed under the rug and it just it can't be it just can't be I don't care what the situation is it it cannot be we all want to know where we came from we want we all want to know where our ties are, where our roots are. So I really appreciate that. No, absolutely. And I think that's like, I don't understand, like it seems like you had a different approach with the adoption journey and that you maybe you had counseling involved in this process, like good facilitators and mentors that taught you what the adopted child would experience, what questions they would have, how to handle those questions and also mentorship and counseling for you because it's even though yes you have to put the child at the center of the equation it's we're dealing with a human experience these are all human beings in the triangle you have the adopted mother the biological mother the child and you need to create an environment that nurtures the growth of that child human and that means everyone needs to be aware of the questions that are going to arise and how to best handle that situation for their optimal psychological and emotional development. I mean, that all being said, like, I do look back and I honor myself enough to say, like, that wasn't right and it should have been handled differently. But I have no heartache or hate about it at all. I actually feel so much love and mercy in my heart for the other adults in the situation because they were children themselves too. You cannot adopt a child with the aim that it's going to complete you. It's taking on a huge task, a huge challenge, just like having a biological child. It's a sacrifice and it's an opportunity to give back and feed into the nourishment of another human selflessly. Right, which is what we do when we have biological children too. That's exactly what I'm saying. Like, and that's where I started doing all of this inner work is because I was only able to see how horrible my childhood was when I became a mother myself. And I thought I would never subject my, that, that love that you have. You only understand what you maybe suffered when you experienced that love for someone else and you realize you didn't have it in your life. But that's why I say so often when you face the ghost in the nursery, when you have children and you realize the trauma in your childhood, you have an opportunity to tell yourself a different story by going back into the wounds in your heart and looking those adults in their eyes and and you can recognize they acted from their child place because their child was hurt too. Right. And if you don't fix your child now, if you're a mother and you're facing childhood trauma from your past, if you don't fix that enough to function from a whole perspective, whole, wholeness, well, 
if you can't get yourself well enough, then you're going to repeat the pain cycle because you're acting out your child's wound, your inner child's wounds when parenting your child. And right. then you're raising them to come up with the same shit. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I, th- I think you, ha- you have to make peace with it, even, even if you can't have a, because there's some relationships you just cannot, you cannot fix. There's some relationships that you just, they're, they're, I really believe that. I believe that you can forgive someone, but you don't, sometimes you don't need to invite them over for hot apple pie. Well, you have to also, yeah, absolutely. And like those people, like that's when you realize, and this is where like the codependent in me comes out is like, I want to prove that my value is dependent on that person's approval. And that's devaluing yourself. What do you expect your child to try to change who they are to get approval of a toxic person? No, you would tell your child to send that person love and to pray for them and say, God, this one's in your hands. I got to keep myself whole so that I don't make other people feel that way. Right. You lovingly let that person go. I don't have a relationship with my adopted mother, not for the last six, seven years. And my sister, not for the last two years, she hasn't had a relationship with her. So both of us are estranged from our adopted mother. And as far as my adopted mother's concerned, the world was completely out to get her. And she got two bad eggs in adopted kids. But otherwise, like we have a great family with our adopted dad and his wife, who he remarried after my adopted parents divorced. And together, we all have a beautiful blended family. Like we're all very functional and happy together. That's good. That's good. Well, one thing that I did come to understand through our social worker before, before the adoption was that at some point the child would experience a loss. They would realize that there was a loss there. And do you remember the moment that you went, do you remember that? Like when you Well, the first time I think I realized there was so much loss along the way in my situation. Like when I was, when I was two years old, we moved to Germany. And then shortly after that, when I was four years old, my biological mother couldn't handle all of the kids. She had four kids. She couldn't handle us all. So she sent me back on an airplane by myself at the age of four from Germany to Washington state where I was born to live with my grandma. So that was lost for the first time all by myself on an airplane. And then all by myself with my grandma where I got to see her get beat up by her husband every single day. Then my parents came back and my dad went to Saudi Arabia where he was away for war. My mom was left with her four kids. And what she did is she resorted to joining a gang and becoming a drug addict in the streets while my grandma raised us and no one took us to school. Then he came back and he got mad at her for cheating on him and for taking drugs and for living her life so recklessly that he beat her up and then tore my sister and I away from her. So there's four of us. He took the two oldest and drove to Texas. So I was like, Washington, Germany, Washington. Now I'm in Texas with his new wife. So all the loss that happened before I was adopted was more than the adoption itself. Like there was, this was dysfunction to the absolute maximum. And then I was adopted and I got a new family and I was put in tutoring and put on a weight loss plan and expected to now live into these new societal expectations that I had not been used to my entire life. And I did, I caught up, I got adapted because by then I learned that your safety depends on people's approval. So you best fit in. 
I remember crying myself to sleep that night. I developed anorexia. The co I was just coping, 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 because no one told me, this little girl, bad things have happened to you and you need to cry and that's okay. That didn't happen until I had kids of my own. Uh -huh. yeah. So I got through it all looking okay, mm -hmm. but eventually my body was breaking down. And, and then that happened in the last few years when I became a mom and I was literally sick all the time. So you, you are a public speaker now. So do you speak on your past and how you dealt with your past? And yeah, that's exactly what I do talk about is my, my main message comes down to recognizing your brokenness in early motherhood so that you can adopt better coping mechanisms and tools for healing so that you don't repeat the pain cycle for your own children. Because if we parent from a place of pain, it just goes on and on and on. And we can reinvent the narrative. We can go back and forgive because none of that's going to be undone. And I'm really grateful for all the great things that have happened in my life and, and put me where I am so that I can be in a safer place to dissect all of this and understand it and let it go. Yeah. And you are an educator. I mean, I can't imagine how many people, is it mostly women that you speak to or is it? I'm, I'm not an educator. You are an educator. Oh. You are an educator. <laughs> You've educated oh. me just in this conversation. You are an educator. So. Thank you. I, I like to think of it that I'm just shining on light on something that needs to bring awareness. And, and the call to do that for me came when I moved to South Africa 14 years ago and I was all alone in a new land with different culture and different way of speaking and living life that I realized I missed, I missed home. I missed home. I missed my roots. But at that point I was like, well, what are my roots? What's home? And I was all alone without my adopted parents' influences and society, American society's influences. And I sort of like was left to my thoughts that I'd been running away from up until that point. And I had no choice but to face them. And that's where the real search began. The real healing began mm -hmm. in early motherhood because I now, it wasn't just about fixing me. It was about being fixed so I didn't break these little humans. Right, right. Um, and the only way you can fix yourself is when you stop holding on to the hurt. And the only way you can do that is by saying, well, why am I hurting? And then saying, okay, I let you go. You have, people want to say to you, why you just need to choose to be happy. And I did that. I chose to be happy from 10 to 32. Uh -huh. And then it, it, you can just pretend the whole time. You can put fake eyelashes on. You can get hair extensions. You can run until you're the thinnest person in the world and pretend that you eat organic and everything's fine in your life. But when your body falls apart and you have two little kids to look after and you're just sitting there like, I feel so wounded. Like you can't pretend anymore. You have to say like, that wasn't okay. And you have to honor the past enough to look it in the eye and say, I, I see you, I recognize you and I'm letting you. Yes. You have to let it go. You have to let it go. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You have to let it go, but you have to first see it. Yeah. I think people want to jump to the letting go part too quickly and we need to take time to honor what truly happened to us. Yes. I mean, we would tell that to our child, right? If they were coming home from school and saying that they're being bullied, would you say, 
honey, you just have to let that person go. You'd say, how does that make you feel? Mm-hmm. How, okay, yeah, it makes you feel this way. And how would you like to feel? You acknowledge and then you set the boundaries for them and then you show them what their choices are. So that's where in early parenthood, when you've been traumatized as a child, you have the opportunity to reparent yourself in the same way that you would parent your own child that you love endlessly. Right, right. You're exactly right. I love this. I love this conversation. This is so I can't even tell you. So how can our listeners get in touch with you? Yeah, so I mainly hang out on Instagram. I love that spot. Um, it, I'm on Instagram as Cape Town Mom Christina. Uh, have a website, ChristinaMazarek.co.za. It's a South African way. Um, and, and that's where, yeah, I have a podcast also called The Honest Hour, where I bring on guests to talk about their journeys of enlightenment, awareness, triumph to tribulation themselves. Like, I love chatting to everyone. I love your podcast. And I'll tell you, I've turned it on some at night since we met. Oh, wow. And it's so soothing, your voice and the music. It's so soothing <laughs> and relaxing. I love it. So I would say. Oh, that's so kind. Thank you. It, it is. It's so relaxing just to, just to hear your voice. So, well, thank oh, you so nice. much for joining me today. I've loved every minute of it. And we are definitely going to have to do this again. I would love to. Thank you so much, Heather. I appreciate the opportunity and your questions and your chat. It was great. Thank you. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. Hi, BFFs. Our families would like to thank all of our sponsors, as well as you, our friends, for supporting this podcast. We are grateful for Petty Dental of Bartlett for funding this episode. All of you are helping to send elves to children's hospitals, and we can't thank you enough. Mm -hmm.